A proud member of the Earglue Media family of podcasts. You're listening to Bad Gamers Anonymous, a podcast dedicated to helping gamers not suck. Our two-step programs of suck up and get good will help even the worst of gamers just be bad. We review the latest video game titles, cover the latest news, and discuss issues that affect gamers. Here are your hosts of Bad Gamers Anonymous, Bad Gamer Jason, Bad Gamer Joe, and Bad Gamer Crowley. Get good, scrubs. Welcome to Bad Gamers Anonymous. I am your host, Joe. Joining me this week, as always, my sun and stars, Jason. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. I don't think I'm quite as handsome as Carl Drogo, but I'm pretty close. I think you got him beat. I think you've you got think? him beat. Oh, you're the best. No, you... Love you, Joe. <laughs> All right, we can't, be, we can't be too happy on each other because we are not joined by Crowley this week, and someone has to be negative. I know, daddy's gone. Let's hit the liquor cabinet. <laughs> oh. Um, yes, as you guys remember from last week, Crowley is going to be taking a step back. He made the decision to leave the show in our hands for some reason. So here we are with the show in our hands. <laughs> Evil laugh. Um, before we get started, we have a little housekeeping. You guys are in the deep underbelly of some Firefly over on Sadus, aren't you? Yeah, we are. Um, Crowley is on that show, uh, much to my chagrin, but... Um, yeah, we're we're a little bit past. Uh, well, we're we're right about halfway as this episode drops on on Firefly. So uh, definitely come over and check that out. We we do about two episodes of Firefly per episode of, St- of Status. It's me, Rob, and uh, and Crowley on there reviewing those episodes. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I've really enjoyed going back and and viewing those episodes. Last time I saw Firefly was when it was broadcast and all the episodes were out of out of sync. So um, this has been a, a much better viewing and it's been a long time since I've seen them. But excellent, excellent series. Definitely can't recommend it enough. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you guys argue about whether you got to have a set of awards for each episode of Firefly or for each episode of Sadis. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes I just got to... I gotta, you know, put down the law. It's it's one set of awards per episode of Satis, not for each episode that we review. I'm with you. And speaking of things that you and Crowley are both involved with, you guys both helped us at the film appraisers get our expectations and reactions episodes recorded for Avengers Endgame. The uh, expectation show is already out. Reaction show we recorded earlier today should be out early this week. And um, I had a lot of fun doing that with you guys. I was really appreciate you guys coming on and giving me a hand, me and Josh a hand with that. Oh man, it was so much fun. I'm so glad you had me. Um, yeah, talking about the movie and our expectations before, and then actually watching the movie, and it it is incredible. Go out and see it. Yeah. Um, and then talking with you guys, um, and basically just in a we we've already seen it, so we we just got to spew. Um, uh, all the things we you've been holding and, back yeah. all weekend. All, yeah, because you can't talk to anybody about it because not everybody's seen it. So you don't want to spoil it for anybody because it is such an incredible movie. Um, and yeah, just getting to talk about it was was so much fun. I really enjoyed that. I'm not going to spoil anything, but the part where the guy did the thing that I was really excited about, I'm still pretty excited about it. So <laughs> <laughs> You were very excited about that. Check it out. Make sure you see the movie. 
check out the expectation show, then check out the reaction show. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, once again, I really appreciate you and Crowley giving us a hand. Oh, anytime, anytime. I had a lot of fun. So thanks. So besides being on Sadus and film appraisers this weekend, what you've been playing, Jason? Well, um, not a whole lot. I've been playing Assassin's Creed Rebellion. I downloaded like it that. was last week. You downloaded it? Yeah, I didn't open it yet, but I downloaded it. <laughs> well, you I know, baby I, steps, baby I steps. I fully intended on playing it this week, but it was a pretty busy week and I didn't get to it. But it's on my phone. I'm going to do it. Do it. I mean, it, it's it's not a bad game. It's nothing, you know, exceptional. I want to see what assassin accounting is like. It is. It, well, it, it, <laughs> it's nothing, you know, exciting. Um, but no, it's a well done game for, for what it is. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, five to 10 minute, uh, time waster. Uh, you got five to 10 minutes to spare. You open that up, you tap on a few things and you're done. Um, just like the other game that I play, which is the Simpsons tapped out. I play that every day. Uh, it's another five to 10 minute, you know, time waster. It's, it's nothing that you really have to, to think about. You just, tap on it every once in a while and you go on about your day and just like assassin's creed rebellion i downloaded that and also didn't open it <laughs> so you've got a bunch of stuff on your phone that you just never open i'm gonna open them it's gonna happen well when you when you open the simpsons tapped out definitely uh, send me a, a neighbor request um I'm, you want to tap in my city don't you i do i want to tap in your city i'm gonna tap it <laughs> Um, but no, I also uh, I also played State of Decay two again uh, this week because Days Gone released, and that reminded me that um, State of Decay two had the Daybreak DLC release last fall that I never got to because I just got too busy. So I'd been meaning to to try that DLC out for the last six months. Uh, Days Gone reminded me that I hadn't tried it yet. So I cracked open State of Decay 2, downloaded the DLC, and uh, tried it out. And it's not too bad. I, I enjoyed it. it. It's much better, I'm sure, with friends. Um, I haven't haven't grabbed the uh, people that I, I play State of Decay 2 with yet to uh, try it out with them. But it was it was fun solo. What's the, uh, what's the DLC bring to the table? Um, so this DLC is basically kind of a, a defend the base DLC. So you play as the Red Talon uh, squad, which is this kind of elite military organization in, in State of Decay. In the regular game, you get a few missions from them, but you can also buy advanced armament from them as well. Um, but in this DLC, you play as part of that squad and you're defending your base against zombie hordes. So it's, it's basically a, how long can you defend your base before you get overrun? That actually sounds kind of up my alley. I never checked out Theta Decay 2 at all, but I kind of like the defense stuff. So So Rob and I played State of Decay 2 for months, um, uh, cooperatively helping each other with our bases. And then uh, there's there's this um, kind of thing where you can uh, get a friend to come in and you basically dump all of the inventory that you want to keep and move over to your, your new base. Um, you, you load it up on your friend, they, uh, load it up in their inventory and then you move on to your new base and then your friend brings all that inventory back. And so you're not just stuck with what you can carry on your three people You you, you can carry other stuff over. So that was kind of a, a workaround, an exploit. If you were, it's a fun game though. You should definitely check it out. It's, it was one of those ones that I like 
put on my well if I have time list, and I just never never went back to it. Maybe I'll check it out though. That sounds the the base defense stuff actually sounds pretty right up my alley. Yeah, it's on uh, Xbox Game Pass, so oh, you would get it for free. Then I definitely will check it out. I love free things. <laughs> Speaking of free so what things, what have you been playing? Exactly, I've played a couple of free mobile games to start this week. Uh, I played this game called Crowd City. I think is so. There's like twenty of these that are exactly the same on the uh, Play Store, and I'm not sure who was the first and who's copying who, but they all seem to be the same game. And I keep seeing ads for them, uh, but you kind of, you start off with like one guy, and as you bump into uncolored characters, they meet, they match your color, and your crowd grows. And as long as your crowd is bigger than the, another player's crowd when you bump into them, you absorb their crowd. Uh, and it's a totally mindless, dumb game. But when I've only got thirty seconds here or there to pop a quick game in, uh, it was fine, uh, especially for free. Uh, there's all kinds of free to play. Hey, buy this to remove ads. Hey, buy this to start with a bigger crowd than one person. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that at all. <laughs> That's a waste of your money. Not worth it. No, no, it's not really a good game. It's fine. It's like it's a it's a fine waste of like a minute while you're standing in line or something. Right, um, right. I also played Idle Racing Go because I like my idle tappers, man. I can't help it. Um, and I may or may not have installed a auto tapper on my phone to tap for me <laughs> to make it even less of a game. I cannot confirm so you, nor deny that. So what do you just open it and the auto tapper just starts tapping for you? So you just have it open. It, and then... it may tap like six times per second for me. And I just leave it on my, <laughs> just leave it plugged in going. <laughs> Oh, this is all hypothetical. Joe. I am not breaking right, any right, terms right. of yeah. service. You're at you're you're uh, you heard a friend did it. Yeah, I heard a friend did this. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I played some more Risk of Rain two. That game is getting really fun, and um, I finally got a chance to get a little multiplayer with one of my friends. Uh, I think this game would be a ton of fun if you had a group of four going. I think it goes up to groups of four. I think you could really plow through some enemies and get pretty deep into the uh, the challenge progression um as it goes the longer you stay alive there's like a counter in the top right that ticks and the difficulty gets harder and harder as you stay alive um and i got up to i've gotten through insane by myself uh but i really think that with a couple of people helping you could really get deep and again it gets hectic so uh, i'm kind of curious to get a group together for that and see if if um how far we can get and what it looks like when you get into the later stages. So if anybody out there is interested in Risk of Rain, drop me a line on the Discord. That's eargluemedia.com slash Discord. And uh, we'll get a group together and try that out. I played some more what Elder Scrolls. What is Risk of Rain on? Hmm? It's on what? Steam. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think it's actually cross-platform, but right now I'm playing on Steam. And that's an early access, right? Yeah, it's an early access it's got probably half the features are not done. They have a little, when you hover over them in the menu, has a little date of when it's coming. And it's a really comprehensive um, roadmap for when content is coming on the Steam page. And they have been adhering to it pretty tightly. Uh, and they did the same thing with the first Risk of Rain. And they were they supported that game very well for a long time. So I'm, I have a experience-based confidence with the developer. So... Um, I think it's like 20 bucks. It's not a huge investment. 
I know some people are not interested in dealing with early access games, so be warned, it is an early access game. But there's a lot to it. There's a lot of game there so far, so I've been having a good time with it. And the, um, the game that they've released so far is pretty tight. Yeah, yes. Uh, I've had less bugs and crashing and any of those kind of problems with Risk of Rain 2 than I have with most AAA games in the past two years. So it's early amazing access, how that's happened. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. AAA games are coming out more beta than actual beta games. <laughs> right. Um, I also still collecting my chests a couple times a day in Elder Scrolls Blades because that's what you do in that game. And I picked See, up that, that's your AC Rebellion. Yeah, it really is. You just open it up and you like tap on the chest and then open it and find out that you got nothing that you wanted, and then you tap on another chest to start the timer and you close it. That's kind <laughs> of that entire game. <laughs> chest tapper two thousand. Yeah, I'm. I mentioned last week that they had patched a bunch of this stuff to make it more playable, and they did, and it got it was really good again for a little while. But then I got to, I got a lot further. I think I was level eight or nine when I hit the paywall before the patch, and then they patched it, and I started blowing through content again. And now I think I'm around like level twenty, um, but I'm up against it now. I can't kill anything when I go out. Every, even like the, oh, what do they call the rats in Elder Scrolls games? Skeevers. Even the skeevers kill me. And every time I die, a little pop-up pops up and it's like, hey, you can buy this ridiculously good sword for $5.99. So I think I've just hit a point where there's not much left to play. Right, right. And that's unfortunate because it, it has a ton of potential. It looks great and it's got like good Elder Scrolls-y music and there's voice acting and like a real story and side quests and jobs. Like it's a whole, it's like a full Elder Scrolls game. Um, behind a paywall behind a really bad paywall yeah it's unfortunate and i bought moto rush gt for the nintendo switch it's a baltoro games development and um that's a really arcadey motorcycle racer where you race through traffic and you're given challenges like uh get 45 near misses in 90 seconds or race from point A to point B in less than this amount of time or pass this many cars or do this many seconds of wheelie. It's super arcadey, but it's another one that's really easy to pop in and pop out of play for like three minutes. And, uh, I had a really, really packed schedule this week. So these games that were bite size experiences or bite size time commitments were my priority for the week, <laughs> but it's good. Um, it is, I think, $15 on the Switch. I think it would be a much better game in the 5 to $10 bracket. I think 15 is a little bit much. But it looks it looks great for a Switch game. It, it handles really well. If you like that kind of challenge-based driving thing, it's pretty good. It's fun. I wish it was $10. Crowley always gripes at us every week for not asking him what he's playing. So we let's should probably ask, ask him, all, him, hey, hey ask Crowley, him what are here. you playing? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's not here. I did but, hear he is playing a game though. Yeah, um, we know what game he's playing. Yeah, he's playing Swotor. You know that the game, game that he, he constantly about? gripes about. <laughs> he is playing. Yeah. So, and in fact, uh, this very moment while we we're recording, Crowley is playing Swotor. So exactly. I hope you're enjoying your bad game, Crowley. <laughs> yes, Crowley likes playing awful games. Confirmed. 
And on the subject of PC gaming, let's hit the news. PC Gamer put an article out saying that some industry analysts are predicting that 20 million people will abandon PC gaming for TV gaming platforms in the next couple of years here. Um, yeah, this is more, I mean, this happens every two to three years. Um, yeah. Some, some financial analyst or some uh, analysis firm will come out with a, a report saying that, you know, PC sales are declining. PC gaming is on the decline. Uh, everybody's going to switch to consoles. Um, you know, the sky is falling. And every two to three years, they're always wrong. So, so a couple of things they pointed out in this article, I actually sort of agree with, or I don't want to say agree with, but uh, see where they're coming from. Um, I do not think PC gaming is actually in any danger. But a couple of the points they made here is the cost of building a uh, gaming PC right now is still disproportionately high compared to what it was even five or six years ago compared to console games. The new hardware is coming out and is very expensive, and the old hardware isn't really getting cheaper. Well, I mean, but new consoles, especially whenever the next-gen consoles come out in the next year or two, those are going to be high. Those are going to be probably in the the four to six hundred dollar range, just like they were in the last gen. And for four to six hundred dollars, you can make a decent mid tier mid tier PC gaming machine, which would be close to, if not a little bit better than than what the console gen will be. Maybe I mean, it, it, and we don't have specs on what the next gen consoles are going to be, but. That's typically how that's worked. You could you could build a, a PC rig for uh, just about the same price as you could uh, get a console with with similar specs. Right. Um, I just you know when the ten series cards came out, video cards, the nine series cards got cheap like overnight, and right. when the twenty series came out, the ten series did not. Um, well, that's because the the 20 series came out and really the the differentiator between the 20 series and the 10 series was ray tracing. The 20 right. no, series didn't bring for, a, a lot of GPU for oomph. sure. Um that's definitely what like the main contributor there, but it still makes buying into the 10 series cards more expensive than buying buying into the 9 series cards were at this point in their life. Um and I think that's a problem for some people, uh, but yeah, but I think especially I think now they're... while the consoles are in that point in their career, their life where they're like constantly on sale, so the the differentiating the the price difference right now this moment makes PC gaming seem kind of unappetizing. But like you said, next in the next two years or so when the new consoles come out and they are ridiculously expensive, I think this will correct itself quite a bit. Yeah. It's it's all cyclical. I mean right yeah. now you can get a you can get a console for cheaper than you could you could build a decent rig. That's for sure. And and yeah, GPU prices are still a little bit high on the 10 series because the 20 series didn't bring a whole lot to the table. Um you can you're you're basically paying eighty to a hundred dollars more to get ray tracing on your card. Um but yeah, th this next cycle, everything will 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 shift balance again, and PC gaming will still go on. Now, 
for for hardcore PC game gamers, nothing's changed. No. Everybody's still on the bleeding edge. They've got the the highest end hardware. Um, you're not going to find a console that's going to beat a, a high end gaming machine. The the other thing that they mentioned in this that is a pet peeve of mine, or at least an annoyance here, is that the is monitor tech and cost. Why is a 4K monitor five times more than a 4K TV? Like the prices on decent monitors just make me want to use a TV. And but the problem with TVs is that you lose a little bit of that input latency. Yeah. So the the um, the refresh rate on the 4K monitors is higher than what you're going to get on a consumer grade 4K TV. Um, but that's because. I think that's what messes with people because for most people, most especially the like the 20 million gamers they talk about here, they say are going to come from the mid mid grade gaming PCs. They're not going to be the hardcore gamers. And most of those people are not going to care a ton about the refresh rate or the late input latency. And if you can go to a console and a TV and get relatively reasonable 4k graphics for fraction of the cost of a 4k monitor for your pc those people aren't going to be swayed i do think well, we need to see some more well I th- honestly right now i think the affordable way to get 4k on your pc is to use a, a tv like that's kind of the only way yeah but i mean honestly the, a mid-tier uh gaming rig probably isn't going to push a 4k display um on a game anyway Um, Uh, it's, it's just not going to have, it's not going to have the push. You're going to have to have a 1070 or higher. And those are still fairly, fairly expensive cards. Um, Right. Your your mid tier gaming rig is probably going to have a 1060 and and that's not going to push a 4k display. No, not, not natively at 4k, but you could still, you could still get some, some up resing probably still look better on a 4k display than it would on your, 1080p monitor for sure but yeah but it, it'll it'll push a 1440 and those are those are still fairly cheap monitors relatively. so you can split the difference but that's get a 1440 monitor and still have a really good looking game i think that's for a lot cheaper than a 4k i think that's where we're at though i think that's the the slide because it's too expensive between the video card and the monitor it's too expensive to get to 4k on the pc right now compared to the up 4k stuff we're seeing on consoles that actually does look really good um paired with a much cheaper 4k tv for way less like you get yeah. way less all in so i think I th- another flaw in this article is they're doing the the or operator on this so they're they're saying that um these gamers are going to have a console or a pc yeah and that's um, never there's the a lot of gamers that have consoles and pcs like and, most and once you get and once you get a PC going once you get a gaming rig going it's a lot cheaper to upgrade that rig over time in increments than it is to you know invest in a a new game console every five years right it's a way bigger upfront investment but it's way easier to keep it on the somewhat cutting edge yeah and, and the so other I thing, think they lose that detail in this article yes they, they definitely don't even touch on that um which is a good point to bring up um the other thing that a PC is way better at than consoles is VR. And we get to hear all about how Breath of the Wild for VR is bad. 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think like we knew it was going to be bad. Yeah, I think we knew it was going to be, and I was really considering buying this Labo thing just to try this. But after seeing the footage of how this thing runs and hearing the firsthand accounts of instant nausea and vomiting, uh, I'm glad I didn't spend the money to see how bad this thing is. Oh, come on. I want to see you. I, I want you to take video of you playing Breath of the Wild with your Labo VR goggles. Maybe, you know, maybe that'll be some bonus content yeah. <laughs> later on. <laughs> Definitely. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I think the things bear out that I was concerned about when we first read about this. Um, the Switch has a hard time keeping that game at a stable frame rate just on its own in 2D on its screen. Uh, part of that is because the game is actually running in a Wii emulator because it was developed for the Wii, not the Switch. Right. So the, th the thing chugs in parts. And if anybody who here who has been in VR, chugging is instant sickness in VR. And now you're doubling the screen... <laughs> And really asking way more than the Switch is capable of uh, hardware-wise. Now, I could see I could see this working on a game. The way this is set up in VR is you are still third person behind it, but you kind of have like a 3D view of the world that while you're playing. Um, and I could see this working for the Switch in a much less demanding game or a game that's not running in an emulator and is also demanding. But this did the game just chugs in VR and it looks like it would be a brutal experience. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, from what I understand, this was this was not meant to uh, allow people to play the entire game. This was not this was not developed for people to play the entire game in in VR. This was sort of a kind of a touristy um, feature for people who like certain aspects of the game wanted to. Uh, experience certain landmarks in the game in in a VR setting. Yeah, so they um, said you could play the whole game in VR, like in a hey, the whole game is available in VR. All you have to do is click a toggle and you're in VR. Uh, but I don't think they intended anybody to actually play the whole game in VR. They were just trying to say that at any point while you're playing, you can check it out in VR. The other problem is is I don't know if you've seen how this Labo VR thing works. There's no, it's not a headset. It's just like a Viewmaster. So when you're in VR, you have to hold it, basically yeah. hold it to your face. Yeah. So you have to hold it to your face while you're playing with the controllers, which I just don't understand how that even works. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're basically holding your, your switch up to your face and, you know, that's got to be a, a super comfortable position. I think we should do some kind of crowdfunding if you want me to actually do this. This doesn't seem like anything <laughs> I want to be involved in. Yeah. I'll, I'll. I'll set up that crowdfunding campaign. We'll we'll uh, <laughs> go, we'll have go some fund stretch me. goals, <laughs> and uh, I guarantee you we'll we'll meet those stretch goals. So if oh. uh, if you uh, if you want to see Joe play Breath of the Wild in VR, definitely uh, hit us up on Discord or or reach out to us, and and I'll uh, I'll I'll set up a, a crowdfunding campaign. We'll get this going. Uh, on the topic of things that are not worth your money. Uh, Cox Internet is now selling you slightly lower latency as for PC gamers for $15 a month. Uh, my question with this article is what, what will PC gamers not just spend money on? There's not a whole lot. I this mean, is absolutely ridiculous. There's $15 a month surcharge for 40% less jitter 
and 34% less latency, which sure, that sounds like big numbers, but when you're talking four to six milliseconds anyway, that's not a, a perceivable difference. Yeah, there's limited utility with this. And this isn't something that Cox has developed. They're just basically reselling um, uh, an application called WTFast, um, which is basically a, a non-encrypted VPN service that directly links you to a server that directly links to specific other game servers. So you're, you're, you're not being bounced through uh, the normal DNS route. Uh, you're, you're going with a, a, a more direct path to your game server. And not all games are involved in this, uh, and the, your mileage may vary depending on what game you're, you're connecting to. So there's been, uh, there, there, Ars Technica did some tests, and on some games like Overwatch, they found a, a really good um, latency decrease from like 301 milliseconds they said to 43 which is which is really good if you're playing uh if you're playing something like overwatch at 301 milliseconds you're gonna suck uh that's just that's way too much latency somebody pops around a corner they're gonna shoot you before you really even notice they're there uh 43 milliseconds is actually a pretty good latency in that case but in yeah, others and, and, you know and, and they that's a test case where you had bad latency to start with, like really bad latency to start with. And if my right. latency was that bad to begin with, I'd be looking at my provider to begin with. Yeah. And it may not be your provider. It may just be the, right. the route um, because your provider only has access to the the first DNA uh, DNS bounce. And then right. from there, it's, you know, internet and servers throughout. So this thing is $15 per month as long as you sign up for the two-year agreement. And then it's $20 a month, but that will only let you use it on two PCs. And then it's $5 a month each for more computers after that. There are also services that do this, or very similar to this, that are free or way less money than this. Right. Um, yeah, you should definitely start with those first. <laughs> yeah, if you are having a problem, I suggest you research alternatives that don't cost you two-year agreements and $20 a month or more. Um, and honestly, a lot of times if you're having latency issues, you can cut that down a lot by like plugging directly into your router instead of using your Wi-Fi or something. Like there's a lot of ways you can get around spending extra money for basically nothing. Yeah. If, if your latency is, is Wi-Fi related, that's, that's a good, uh, workaround. But sometimes if, if you do like a, a trace route, um, you can definitely tell through that trace route where your, your latency issues come from. And sometimes it's, it's through the internet backbone, something that you really don't have any control over. So, um, so something like WT fast might help you probably not, but it, it might be worth checking out. And if you don't have to go through Cox to get this WT fast, um, sells this directly without a two year license agreement. Um, and it's the same price per month, but it's only licensed for one computer. So, you know, your mileage may vary. It's something to check out. It doesn't have a lot of utility, but it, it may serve uh, a, a small segment of people. I haven't tried it, um, but Cloudflare came out with a DNS service uh, called 1.1.1.1 last year that I have seen people have great success with, and it's totally free. They have, they have a, a article on their site on how to just go into your network settings and connect to it. Um, and people seem to have pretty great success with that. So maybe that's an option to try out. 
Yeah, um, they, they may have a, a better routing uh, path. Uh, yeah, that's certainly worth checking out. It's not going to cost you anything. So, What will cost you is using a, if you are epic, is using a saxophone player's likeness for your dance games. Or maybe oh it won't God. cost you because this is just another one of these cash grabs yeah. for, against Fortnite and their dances. This is stupid. So uh, this saxophonist, uh, Leo Pellegrino, that's suing you know, Epic or has joined the bandwagon. Basically, I, I, I think this law firm probably reached out to him and said, hey, I think uh, we think you've got a case here. Somebody might be using your likeness. We'll represent you. This is this is dumb because I'd, I watched his performance. Well, what I could stomach of his performance. <laughs> and then I, I watched the Fortnite emote and the similarity is they're both playing a sax. I don't I don't see where he's got a case here because his case isn't that they're copying his dance moves. His case is that they're using his likeness. And his likeness and this emote likeness are nothing alike. So he's got even less of a case than Lindsay Lohan did when she sued GTA 5 and the judge threw that out and said you're stupid. Yeah, I just don't understand how many people are going to jump on this bandwagon with epic trying to sue epic and none of them win none of them get any traction like i could see if a couple of these cases were falling in the plaintiff's way here but they're none of them are and people keep doing it do they think they're gonna be the first like do they think they've got the the silver bullet because of his pink hair is that what is that where we're at i don't know i mean his pink hair i haven't seen anything on fortnite that suggests pink hair i mean there may be a character with pink hair and maybe that character can do this emote but that's that's a stretch to say that they're copying his likeness yeah this is dumb this is another person being really dumb and hoping for free money it is but i mean you can sue anybody for anything and it'll get thrown out just hope it sticks yeah epic on the subject of epic has kind of thrown the gauntlet at Steam. They are saying that if Steam <laughs> committed to a permanent 88% revenue share, which would match the Epic Store share, for all developers and publishers without any major strings attached, Epic would hastily organize a retreat from exclusives while honoring our current partner agreements and consider putting our own games on Steam. Yeah. So if I was Steam, I would do this right now and watch what Epic did. Yeah. I mean, this okay. is they're they're basically throwing it in in Steam's court, saying, "Okay, we've uh, we've issued the challenge. This is what we're gonna do. We're not gonna we're not gonna raise our and basically, Epic is saying that they're not gonna raise their rates uh, from an eighty eight percent revenue share. And if Steam reciprocates, then you know they're not gonna chase any exclusives. And you know, all the games that have uh, moved over to Epic because they're getting a lot more money by moving over to Epic than if they were to release on Steam, uh, you know, will have their choice. They could they could go to both platforms and, and then the consumer basically has the choice of which platform they want to have their content on. Yeah, and, and Valve's current uh, revenue share is the dumbest, like, tiered setup that really hurts... Uh, indie developers it's really heavy on indie developers and that is the one thing the only thing that i really like about the epic store is that it gives small devs a chance to make actual money with their games 
So I would like to see Valve do this. I also kind of think that Epic is assuming that Valve won't do this, and by making this kind of bold statement, they get to look like the heroes here. We we offered the challenge. Uh, I would love to see how they would react if Valve actually did it. Yeah, they might have shot themselves in the foot, especially if Valve takes them up on their offer. Because yeah, Valve that's kind of what the, I want to see happen. Yeah, Steam is the established um, the established platform here. So if Steam says, "Sure, we'll do that," then I, I don't know that that Epic has gained enough ground or enough traction to to stay in business at that point. No, and they don't have the feature sets of Steam yet. If they're right. all on their roadmap, and they say they're all coming, but the one they're here already for Steam. You know, a lot of the the friends list and sharing and game game servers and and social aspects that are used pretty heavily on Steam are just not there with the Epic Store yet. And yeah. if if they are really gonna back down, if Steam goes to eighty eight percent revenue share, uh, I don't know what makes anybody want to go to the Epic Store. Exactly. But I mean, at this point, you know, Steam is taking thirty uh, percent off of the first ten million in sales. Indie developers more than likely are not going to hit that ten million sale part. So Epic is looking much more attractive at, right. at, at a twelve percent cut. Well, the whole way across the board, because even after ten million in sales, they still take twenty five percent all the way up to fifty million in sales, and then they right. still take twenty. They never get as low as twelve percent. Or even really right. close to twelve percent share, so yeah. all the way across the board, you're just better off as a developer on Epic. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I I, th I still think if if Valve takes the challenge and and cuts down, let's say even to to fifteen percent, with as as established as Steam is and with the feature set that Steam has, that's still pretty attractive. Um, they they may. They may push Epic out of the, the out of the industry. They could. They absolutely could. And also in the fight for relevancy, we have GameStop doing everything it possibly can to try to not turn into a bunch of empty buildings. <laughs> the once retail giant is now offering a program called Guaranteed to Love It. The first and only game in this program so far is days gone so for the first two days post release that game you could return that game even if it was open and played for a full refund in in game in store credit um this is kind of desperate sounding on GameStop. it's considering the tepid response to days gone it looks bad for them too even though it's not really their fault or have anything to do with the quality of the game this is just GameStop trying to keep or trying to bring people in, I guess. Maybe they think people will buy it because they know they have two days and then just not bother returning it. I don't understand this program, to be honest with you. It's stupid. Yeah. So, I mean, they get the full retail cost of the game. And even if somebody brings it back and they, they give them store credit for another game, they're basically just exchanging a game for another. And then GameStop gets to resell that game. So they're not losing a ton of money if somebody brings it back within the the first two days, but I mean they're they're losing a little, and this is a desperate smack to to stay relevant. Um, I I see where they're going with this. They definitely want to bring traffic into the store because they've they've lost a lot of revenue in the last year. 
the revenue is definitely down uh, year over year from 2017, 2018. Um, yeah, in a and, scary way. Yeah. Uh, they, and they're, they they're trying to restructure. Net, they reported a net loss of $673 million, which includes selling their mobile, their spring mobile division for $700 million, which would be, if they hadn't sold that, would have been a loss of over a billion dollars. That's yeah. a bad year. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a horrible year. So this is this is them trying they're throwing a Hail Mary to try and and stay in business. Uh, the the online retailers and online stores are eating their lunch and even though they've got an online presence, but apparently it's not enough. Not enough. So so let me ask you this. What does this tell you or how does this make you feel going forward about like the all digital Xbox or the streaming gaming future. Do you think that this, do you think this is the very last gasp at physical media here or physical games anyway? I don't think it's the last gasp. Um, I can definitely see the, the market for physical media contracting, um, but I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Uh, it certainly doesn't have enough legs left to sustain an entire business around it. No, no, probably not. Um, especially with with retailers online able to ship a game even in physical form and get it on your doorstep day of release. But even even the next gen consoles are going to have, and we'll discuss this later, are going to have discs, um, disc drives in them. So physical media isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, but the the market for it is definitely contracting. What what are where are you on physical media? Do you buy physical games still, or have any desire to? Uh, so yeah, th- I I've stepped foot in a GameStop once in the last four years, and that was to buy uh, Soul Calibur Six um, because I didn't want to pay for it full price online. Yeah, that seems um, fair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I wanted to be able to return it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't typically deal in in physical media. There was a time where I did because I wanted to be able to, to trade in games and get other games with that credit. But I don't deal with enough game volume now to make that worth my while. My my time is is more uh, valuable to me than than the trade in price. Because yeah, I, I typically just, I just like having it ready to play when I get home. I just yeah. turn the thing on and go. Yeah, and I, I typically keep a game longer uh, than I used to, especially the the physical media, either because I'm too lazy to get back to the store to trade it in, or it takes me longer than anticipated to get through the game. And so by the time I trade it in, it's lost more value to it to, uh, to trade it in than it's worth. So um, yeah, I typically don't deal in physical media anymore. I'll just, I'll buy the digital version. I'll have it downloaded and ready to go. Um, and I just, you know, consider whatever trade in I might've gotten as a sunk cost. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I don't, I don't really bother with the physical stuff anymore. It's all digital for me at this point. I just don't have the space for it and I don't have the desire to make a bunch of trips back and forth to the store unless I really have to. On the subject of our streaming future, there will be a Borderlands 3 gameplay live reveal stream this week on Wednesday at 9.30 Pacific a.m. Pacific time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, for the 
pre-show and the reveal trailer itself will be at 10 and 1 respectively you excited for this jason i am i really want to see the gameplay uh i i like the trailer i like what they've done with the art aesthetic i'm excited to see what the gameplay is going to look like and uh it will definitely shape my excitement to either get the game or not yeah i'm really on the fence on this game i want to be super excited for it i don't know if i am yet or not I think this, but I do think this stream will go a long way towards defining how I feel about it. I hope it will. It doesn't, I don't really know how much we're going to get, but hopefully it's enough to have a feel for what we're looking at. I think it will be. I think they'll, they'll probably give us a substantial amount. I mean, they're, they're launching a, a live stream to show gameplay. So I'm pretty right. sure they're going to give us a, a substantial amount of gameplay, show us, you know, what the game's going to look like, what the game's going to feel like. Uh, what the drops are going to be like, what the what the tone and the mood of the game is going to be like. The tone and mood are the things I'm most interested about here yeah. with this. Yeah, so I, I think we're going to get a, a pretty good uh, view of what this game is going to be like, and uh, it's. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, we didn't get it with with Fallen Order, so this is. <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> hopefully this is, we get more than that than that right. had to offer. Right. So it's time for the, let's get on to the main discussion here. Uh, we're going to talk about the future of gaming. Um, you know, last week we talked about it a little bit. We had some details revealed on the PS5 this week. Some leaks came out. A couple of comments were made about the upcoming Xbox line codenamed Scarlet. And we saw some leaks on the new Nintendo Switch half-step, uh, including some pictures and, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had the Stadia announcement. And so we've got kind of a rough outline. We'll definitely say a rough outline of what is coming. And I feel like this is a good time to sort of talk about what we could be seeing and what it means for gaming over the next five to 10 years or more. Um, so like we talked about last week, the PS5 is making a big push towards vr they're they're going more powerful it sounds like they're going to be going hard on this zero or very low load time with the ssd they're using and how fast that thing seems to be based on testing that they talked about right. um, and it also looks like they've got a patent hitting for a replacement vr headset that is a wireless solution that also has eye tracking and much higher resolution a considerably higher refresh rate and a much wider field of view. Um, so it looks like they're really going all in on VR. Uh, did you get a chance to look at this this VR patent thing they've got here? I did. Um, it looks compelling. Uh, you know, being able to untether yourself from your console or com or your computer and having the processing done in your VR headset at real time, along with you know help with the computations from your your console using the millimeter wave radio technology i think is you know could be revolutionary it, uh, yeah it definitely it, gives you more freedom of movement it gives you a, a better resolution it gives you uh it gives you more capabilities to to show uh, a better game to 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 bring forth a better gameplay so if dude, they this, if they this nail head, this yeah exactly if they nail this headset it could be really something to look at. But my problem still is, is that we have not seen anything out of them in the way of better tracking. And 
the PS Move is not good tracking. It is my main complaint with what they've done with that, with the 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 i the PSI and those PS Move controllers. Um, the headset looks compelling to me, even as somebody who has desktop VR. But if I still have to use those light balls that lose tracking constantly, <laughs> I'm not super interested. Um, so unless this thing is paired with a better tracking system, I don't know that this is the right the right move. Uh, but the the technology involved with that headset looks awesome. But the technology involved with that headset and what they talked about with the PS5 sounds very expensive. This does not sound like you're going to be getting a 399 entry level into consoles again out of Sony. No, no. Um, I think the the console alone is probably going to be, you know, like I said, in the four to six hundred dollar range, depending on if they come out with with one console or or two, like what Microsoft is kind of hinting at. Um, if I they don't come know out they with could one go to console. Fi- I don't know they could go to five ninety nine if they have just one. I don't know if they could do it. They got roasted last time they came out that expensive. Yeah, they did. But I mean, how much of a how much of a loss are they going to take on their game consoles when they come out? I mean, they always do take somewhat of a loss. It's it's a loss leader for the games whenever it first comes out and then they make up some of that revenue stream uh whenever they hit the uh whenever they hit better manufacturing efficiencies, but it, So I think this this brings up a point for me that I think Xbox seems to a problem that I think the Xbox which we can transition to here with this with this point they seem to recognize and be addressing and it does not sound like Sony has any interest in addressing is that the reason that people get consoles over PCs is that it's cheaper to get into consoles it's one of the main reasons it's not the only but it's one of the main reasons right if the only PlayStation 5 that comes out or whatever they end up calling it is $600 or even if it's 5 and Xbox takes this what it looks like Xbox has 3 up to 3 models coming out at launch a high-end one that is supposed to be more advanced than the PS5 uh a mid-grade one that sounds somewhat like a 1S upgrade probably going to be more powerful than anything that they have out right now but it'll be mid-grade price point kind of console for the bulk of the people Right. And an entry level one that looks to be a streaming only, probably small hard drive, use whatever X Cloud service only thing. That gives everybody who wants to play a entry point into the Xbox ecosystem. And if the only entry point into the PlayStation ecosystem is at six hundred dollars or even if it's at five, I think they missed the boat. Yeah, I do too. And the theme that we're getting from both Sony and Microsoft is that these aren't technically uh, totally new consoles. These are more uh, iterations, more powerful iterations of previous consoles. So they use a lot of the same architecture, so they're backwards compatible. Um, they're just using better hardware. They're using more upgraded hardware, uh, but the architecture is pretty much the same. So. Do with, you think with, Sony is thinking about selling the PS4 Pro as the entry level going forward and letting you play new PlayStation games on it just at crappier performance? That may be their their uh, business model there. Now that's like that's like the phone business model. Yeah, and, and that's, that's that's interesting. I don't know how that would work out. I feel like I would feel 
even if it doesn't make any difference, even if they just released a new console that was a hair better than the PS4 Pro or something or renamed it, I think I would feel bad buying a PS4 while the PS5 was out. You would That's feel a dumb, bad doing that? I think it's a, it's a dumb thing. Like, I think it would definitely hurt their PS5 sales. I don't know that there's a lot of people out there that are looking for the bleeding edge in consoles. And if they had if they had their choice between a PS4 that played PS5 games or the the more much more expensive PS5, I think they would go for the PS4 that played PS5 games. Let me put it this let me put it this way. That's that's an adult look at it. Let's look at it like it's Christmas time and you're a child and you want the new PlayStation. And even though the PS4 plays PS5 games, but worse. Are you going to be happy telling your friends you got a PS4 for Christmas? <laughs> yeah, no, I I see what you're co- where you're coming. You, at you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's yeah. the old thing. It's not the new thing. It's the old thing. Yeah, that yeah, huh, that's interesting. I don't know if they'll do that, but I could totally see if they don't have anything lined up to compete with the mid or entry level tiers of Xbox console. Then maybe that's the direction they're going. Maybe they could also just be. Because they were very careful not to say PS5 and when asked about it to not comment on that. Right. Maybe they're looking at branding to a platform. This is the PlayStation going forward. That, you have that a, may be too. Or they may call the, the lower end the PlayStation 5 SUX. I don't know. But, <laughs> or it could but be yeah. the PlayStation Lite and the PlayStation or the PlayStation Lite or something along those lines where we end up with just going forward. We have a platform title and the new ones just keep coming out. Yeah, that could be too. But then you've got a, then you've got a problem with games going forward. You're going to have to specify what platforms that game will play on. It's you're 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 starting Which, to fragment your your. Um, it's no different than PC gaming, but we've never asked console gamers to be that involved, right? Right. So, I don't know if now is the time, or. Or if that's just too much. Maybe that's just too much to ask of people who are on consoles. I think that people that are strictly on consoles, that might be a bridge too far. We'll see. I I don't know that they would do that. Although it does seem super feasible to me still for where we are with them going to both systems, really going to a, a very standard kind of architecture that probably won't change much going forward. I mean, this is the first time they'll be able to do backwards compatibility, at least on Sony's side, without having to do it with an emulator. So, yeah, and I think one of the advantages that Microsoft has is with their core gaming uh, API. So they're they're developing uh, a, an easier way for developers to to program their games on both the the Xbox platform and PC at the same time. Yeah, um, and it looks like, I don't know, I so I run not on this computer, but on my laptop, I run um, the preview builds of Windows. And there are Xbox core references all over that thing now, the preview build. Yeah. So it really looks like they're getting ready to which as a Game Pass subscriber, I am all about. It looks like they're getting ready to start dumping Xbox games into Windows. Yeah. Or well, at least I mean, make it very doable. They, they've got the Play Anywhere uh, program out right now, which was the, the first iteration of this. So um, with, the, with the core API, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to see a lot more backwards compatibility with the older Xbox games too. And 
if if they do that, that will hugely broaden the Xbox Game Pass library. And I think that could suck in a whole bunch of people, both uh, console and PC, to the, the Xbox platform. So the other thought I had that separated about the no lower end PlayStation, which we don't know for sure. There just hasn't been any leaks about a lower end PlayStation at this point. Yeah, this and they is haven't all conjecture because we still don't yeah. have just a ton of information. Do you think if if Xbox comes out with a mid-tier, entry-level, high-end kind of three-pronged attack here, and they follow the same rules they have now where anything that runs, anything that comes out has to run on all all products, do you see that making it affecting negatively? Do you see the high-end maybe not getting used to its full potential because it has to run on the mid-grade, or vice versa, the mid-grade runs like crap because they used it, they didn't develop with it in mind that you see that being a problem yeah that could certainly make development a lot harder when you have to develop for three different types of platforms especially graphics wise um yeah that could make your development life cycle a lot longer because um, i could see that being sony's angle here we've only got one system and we use it to its full potential always and that might be the angle they're taking but still if it's 600 dollars, man i think they're gonna lose a lot of sales yeah, six hundred dollars. I mean, in the last gen, when they when both the Xbox and uh, PlayStation Four came out at six hundred bucks, that was that was a hard pill to swallow. I mean, I did what it. What do you think the most? What do you think the most they could get away with selling their high end both both platforms selling their high end one uh, at without it being a player backlash? Uh, Five hundred. I think their high end I, I models think, probably should cap out at five hundred. I think five hundred's like a four ninety nine is like a hard ceiling. Yeah. I think anything over that, people are going to start really having a problem with it. Yeah. Um, the the Xbox six hundred was hard to swallow. I kind of did it because I was excited with what they had said they were going to do with Connect, and of course that fell flat. Totally and flat. I yeah. think I think they could have they could have taken this this last generation. Uh, if they just didn't bundle that damn connect and, and it dropped the price by a hundred bucks. I think they their launch strategy was was full of hubris and it bit them in the butt. Yep. And it bit them in the butt for this entire generation and I think they learned a lot from it. And I think we're gonna see a very different strategy with the next one. I think they're gonna come out swinging hard and it's gonna be up to Sony to be ready for that if they if they want to be even relevant this this generation. Yep, because Xbox has, has broadened their their base uh, both on console and PC with with crossplay and play anywhere and Sony is still a very much a walled garden. So they're they're going to need they're going to need something to differentiate them. So, speaking of differentiate, do you think Sony has figured out the, or not Sony, Nintendo has figured out the perfect little niche where they can do whatever they want and no one will bother them. I think so. I think like uh, the, I think the, the, I, the small handheld console category is all Nintendo. But I mean, people even I mean, people play that on the TV as well. But it's just a like I don't know anybody who only has a Switch, but I know like almost everybody I know who plays. Like I would say probably 80% of people who I know who play games also have a Switch. Yeah. Like it's everybody's second console. It's like a no-brainer. It's portable. You can play it on the TV. It's more powerful than you would expect it to be for a handheld. It 
works and it's got like a ton of really easy entry point indie games and some great first party games like i think they found themselves a spot that they're kind of perfect in yeah um i mean from the company that used to own the console wars to the company that's now basically and also ran I, I think they've they've found their comfort zone. I think they've found the rut that they can they can drive in and stay relevant. So and and sell a ton of games yeah. and a ton of consoles and just be like they don't they're not competing with Sony or Microsoft and they're being left alone. They're being allowed to just run and while these two guys target each other constantly with negative ads and stuff. Sony or Microsoft didn't. Sony are on each, all over each other nonstop. Micro, uh, Nintendo is just cruising along, just cruising along, picking up sales, doing their thing. Yeah, because, and they have. I mean, Sony tried to challenge them and and you know screwed that all up. So I mean, yeah, yeah. Nintendo has no com- competitors in in their market. They, so they also have their leaks out with pictures for the Switch Mini, um, which should be coming out this year. Uh, we should know more, not at E3, but after E3, according to official responses about what that looks like. And it, the from the pictures, from the leaked pictures, it is a smaller Switch that does not have undockable Joy-Cons. It's one piece with a smaller screen, but it still runs all your Switch games. It looks like it's more durable and will probably be cheaper as it is lacking some functionality. Um, as somebody who plays exclusively on the go, with mine like i never play play mine on the tv it's always handheld um this is sort of compelling i think i like the idea of the upgraded switch better for better performance but maybe for somebody with kids like i think this is probably good for somebody with kids or who travels a lot like on planes maybe like this would probably be easier to pack yeah um yeah i think this is this is probably the game boy replacement um and a good console, good rugged console for younger kids. And I think this yeah, is because the, the current switch is super fragile. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this um, is the market they're targeting for that. Yeah. And I think this is a good move. I think for a more durable, smaller switch for kids is a great move. And the not to be released simultaneously, but to come out sometime next year, upgraded full size switch that from leaks and pictures of test units looks like it's going to have like a bezel-less ish display way more bezel-less than we have now and more power that's super compelling to me because as much as i love my switch the thing does chug through a lot of games i don't know if you saw any footage of mortal kombat on the switch i have it it looks like a watercolor painting kind of (laughs) It's not good. Yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah. And if the, if Nintendo wants to, you know, bring those more adult oriented or the, the graphics heavy oriented games to the switch, they're going to need to do something because nobody, nobody wants to play a a smeary game on, on their TV or their switch. And, and I put some of that on nether realms because like doom and Wolfenstein both played and looked really good on the switch and mortal Kombat looks bad like genuinely just looks bad it's, it's unpleasant to look at yeah but Doom so some of that is on other realms a little older too and they use a different engine so right right but it, it it does look way better than the switch version of mortal Kombat, and it runs it runs fast but i guess the other thing too is 
is with a fighting game like that, you need to keep it at 60 frames. Right. So, so yeah, there's it, probably some some consideration there. And I can't imagine they put a ton of development time into converting for the Switch just because I don't think they anticipate a lot of sales on the Switch. So No, I don't think so either. Yeah. I think it was a afterthought or at least a secondary target, um, which to me, I would just rather see it not come out on Switch than to come out lackluster like that but whatever maybe they put maybe they did try and it just isn't the switch just isn't able to keep up with it yeah i mean it's tough to say the, the mortal Kombat game looks really graphics intensive so I, I can imagine it's probably stressing current gen consoles like the xbox and the and the playstation yeah. 4 uh to their max so yeah the switch just doesn't have a chance and the last thing to consider in this what's coming for gaming is the streaming stuff, Stadia and whatever else comes down the streaming pike with xCloud or whatever. Um, we talked about this at length. I don't think we need to talk a ton about this, but to there's a couple of questions I wanted to get. So what do you think this thing needs to have feature set wise, features games exclusives wise to be a serious contender? Is it enough to have a couple exclusives or maybe no exclusives if they've got basically every game or like what does it need what does it need to have to be interesting to you i don't think it needs exclusives if it's got a large library to begin with i don't know that developers will want to put exclusives on a platform especially if it's a subscription based platform and i'm not sure that a, a streaming platform could exist if it's not subscription based um somebody that wants to stream a game but they they just buy it once and then play it uh in perpetuity that doesn't draw the revenue stream that a streaming platform needs to stay alive so i think the the streaming platform is probably going to have to be a subscription-based platform um and i don't see a lot of exclusives being on a subscription-based platform because how is how is the developer going to make its money back uh, if it's if it's reliant upon subscriptions, because if that game so, dies or the the game flops, at least when people are are paying retail price, right. they're they're recouping some of those costs. If nobody subscribes, then you've just dumped a bunch of money onto a platform, and you're never going to see that back. Right, and so we'll see some exclusives on Stadia because they're going to have a couple. They've they've purchased and started a couple of studios, so we'll see something. I don't know what that will look like, or if it'll be anything worth a draw. But the, the other the other major question I wanted to talk about, which you touched on there, was how does the business model, the economy need to look to you to be enticing? Now, we heard some comments out of the president at Ubisoft who mentioned that there were multiple models being talked about or in play at one point. Uh, we don't know where they landed, but subscription... Um, a store or some combination of them were all discussed. Uh, what does it need to look like for you? What do you think the price point needs to be for this to be enticing for you to get into the streaming world? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, how much do you want to pay for a subscription service to play games online? Uh, what's that worth to you per month? So I'm so so. Let's say, what if it was? I'll give you a couple of scenarios, and you tell me how interested you are in them. So let's say it was like the roughly the equivalent of. Um, Xbox Live Gold. What is that? That's five sixty dollars a, a year. Yeah. 
So let's say it was you could pay sixty dollars a year, but you had to buy the games on top of that. But you got to play them online. You got all the Xbox Live Gold perks, but you had to purchase the game still. Would that be something you were interested in? No, I don't want to. I don't want to pay. I don't want to rent my computer and then buy the games because I'm I'm paying full price for that game. And then if I ever stop my streaming subscription, I've already bought that game and I can never play it again. I've rented a computer for a time to buy or to play a game that I bought that that doesn't appeal to me. So let's say it was subscription only. Uh, so you paid a monthly subscription and you had access to everything on the service to play as much as you wanted. That would be um, more appealing to me. What would be the price point that you would say, no, nah, that's too much? So right now would you I'm go, paying... Would you go $30 a month if you could play any every game that came out? Uh, 30 I think, is a little too much. So right now I'm paying... Well, uh, 10 bucks a month for Xbox Game Pass. And I have access to the entire library. And that includes new games that come out for Xbox Anywhere. And those are, those are anywhere from 30 to $60 games. And I get to play right. them for free. Um, so I understand that I'm also on a streaming service using their computing power. Maybe double that. I'm, I think $20 would be my threshold. Uh, 15 so would probably be more palatable to me. If this thing... So let's just set up a hypothetical everything that works the way they said it was going to work everything works as advertised and they seem to have all the major devs on board they're they've got most of the big ones have said they're going to to participate in stadia to what degree we don't know yet but let's let's say it's 30 dollars a month and you can pick up and play everything from EA, from Bethesda, from id, from Ubisoft, all those games, as much as you want, still $30 too much, even though you'd probably be buying one of those games a month at $60 anyway? Yeah, I might. So I, if they had... It depends a lot on the library. Yeah, if they had that broad of a library, 30 bucks might be, um, might be palatable. I can see them doing something more along the lines of uh, we'll give you a $10 a month subscription and you have access to this tier of library of games. And then we also have other publishers that we have games to offer for an a la carte kind of price. So for another three to $5 a month, you can get, uh, you know, the Bethesda games or the EA games. Um, I can sort of them. like the, sort of like the streaming TV channels. do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sort of like how they do that. So I can see them doing that. Um, yeah, $30 a month for, you know, everything that they have. If they have a large library of, of top tier AAA titles as well as, as the indie titles that they put up there. Yeah, I, I could see doing that. Yeah, I think $30 is like the absolute cap for me. So the, the last the last model that I saw mentioned when, when looking into this a little bit also seems like the least appealing to me. Um, but I'd like to get your take on it. What do you think about paying directly for how long you play the game so two dollars an hour or whatever oh, the price no. happens to be no i have no that, interest in doing that that is how playstation now launched when it first launched it was pay by the hour yeah um, no, and it was relatively I, I'm cheap not, most I'm games like a dollar an hour 900 a 900 number gaming service <laughs> yeah um that was so that was how playstation now launched and there was a lot of games that were like 99 cents an hour and they were relatively new games and I could play the whole game for 
$15. But even still, I noticed when I tried that, when I signed up for it, when it first came out and tried that, I would get a game and start playing and I would be like, I would feel under pressure. Like I would finish a level and want to want to explore to make sure I didn't miss any secrets or something like that. But I would be thinking about the per hour pay I'm playing yeah. to run around an empty level. Like it, it negatively affected my experience being on the clock like that. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to feel pressured to get through a game so they can save money. I mean, I have, yeah, I have no interest in, in any yeah. kind of subscription service by the hour. So I think that's a stupid idea. I hope they don't do that. I hope that is not a thing that has any anybody's support in the way this business model works. I think we're going to find out a lot more about how this works come E3 here in a few weeks. But um, I am pretty excited for the streaming future. I just want to see this work because it sounds interesting in a really new way to me. Um, it is like a a breakout from the current console PC gaming cycle we've been in for seemingly forever. Yeah. Um, but if that's the direction they're going, I want nothing to do with it yeah. at all. Neither do I. And I think this really untethers you from the, the console box and, and your PC if they can nail streaming because you can do it anywhere yeah. with, you know, a halfway, this, halfway, this, you know, competent computer. If this thing works, this instantly creates competitors for Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. Yep. Because your phone instantly becomes a better console than the Switch. Yeah. Now, that's not to so, say that, I mean, I, I would still probably prefer gaming on an actual console or my PC. But yeah, definitely while I'm I'm away from home, to be able to jump on an actual full title non-mobile game on my phone, yeah, that that certainly interests me. Just whip out a controller, throw my phone on it, and then you know, play some some Fallout or or State of Decay. Yeah. All right. So, right now, put your money on it. Five years from now, well, let's go. Let's go seven years from now. That gives the new consoles a couple of years to breathe when they come out. What does it look like? Where are we at? Um, I, I still think that Microsoft and Sony are battling it out for number one on the console wars. I think with the lessons learned, uh, that Microsoft has on this last generation, I think they may eke out all signs are pointing to their hardware being a little more powerful than Sony's at this point, but that's still yet to be seen because we haven't gotten any hard specs on either. Um, but I think, I think they've learned their lesson. I think Sony is still very much in a, in a, a walled garden mindset. I think that may hurt them in the future, uh, especially with more and more interest in cross play, cross platform play. Um, and we really haven't seen a whole lot from Sony on streaming. And I think, uh, streaming is going to, is going to be the differentiator. Microsoft's working on it. Google's working on it. I think with Microsoft focusing both on on cross-platform play with the Xbox platform and streaming, um, I think it's it's going to be tight between them and Google. But I think Microsoft is ahead on this, and this is not being fanboy. This is, I mean, I hope I've I've laid out my reasoning on that pretty clear. So you you think it's going to be tight between Sony? And I think it's still going to be a pretty close race. Generation. It's going to be a close I race. Do. I think history will repeat itself like every cycle, but this time Xbox is going to spank the crap out of Sony and then 
we will be having the same conversation <laughs> years from now, but it will be the opposite way around. I don't think it's going to be close. I think just like every console generation, it's going to flop hard because Sony is going to be full of hubris and think that they've got this in the bag, and Microsoft is the hungry competitor a la Rocky, hey, and it's going I'll, to come in I'll and take it. clean up. <laughs> yeah, I know you will. Uh, I'm going to be pissed about it, but like real pissed about it, but I think that's what's going to happen. I hope I'm wrong. I hope for for one time, I really hope you're right and it's close, <laughs> I, but I don't see it happening, man. I think Sony is adept enough that they'll they'll pivot soon enough to keep that from happening. I don't think they'll take the lead. I think they'll still lag behind, but I don't think they'll... Uh, um, I don't think they'll have the hubris that Microsoft did and, you know, cause Microsoft stuck with its guns with the connect and that hurt them a lot for, you know, year and a half to two years. Um, I think, I think Sony's a little more agile than that. I think they'll, they'll be able to pivot and, uh, you know, move with the punches a little better than, than Microsoft did. So they'll, they'll, they'll be able to keep it close. You heard it here first, guys. From Jason's mouth, Sony is agile and Microsoft makes big mistakes. <laughs> they did. They did. But I think, we will. I think Microsoft has learned from their big mistakes. Uh, we can only hope we will see. Uh, I think that competition, healthy competition, is better for all of us as gamers. I think we are in one of the best times to be a gamer right now. Things are exciting. The future looks great. I can't wait to see what comes out of E3 and what comes out of the next couple of years with what we have for tech coming. And I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens. Me too. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, next week, we will talk a little bit more about what we're playing. I'm going to be giving a little bit of a review on Steam, Steam World Quest. And um, we'll hit the news. So tune in next week. I'm Joe. I'm Jason. Thank you for joining us. See you guys. Bad Gamers Anonymous is not affiliated with any video game developer or publisher. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the host and not of Earglue Media. And they're probably terrible. Executive producer for Bad Gamers Anonymous is James Dean. Get good, scrubs.